Proverbs chapter 3. I'm going to read uh, two sets of verses from that chapter. And we're going to look at some other verses from Proverbs. In my message today, we've entitled Communal Flourishing and Covenantal Fulfillment. Communal Flourishing and Covenantal Fulfillment. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 to 20, and then verses 28 to 35. Chapter 3, verse 13, I hope you're there. This is the Word of God. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. That's what the Lord says. Let's go to verse 28. Quite different. Verse 28. Or let's go to verse 27. I messed this up the first time too. Verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plant evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. There's a lot there, um, but uh, let's pray for today's message. Okay, Let's pray. We're talking about a big topic today, about community and about how when the covenant is fulfilled, it leads toward the flourishing, the shalom of the community, Lord. And I pray that today that you would make us a people humble and repentant and you would fill us with the wisdom that would make us a deeper people, a people that longs and not only just as wishful thinking, but in a deep heart attitude in the habits of our life to be a people shaped to contribute and fill, put poor blessing and fill with life those around us and contribute to the flourishing of our community, Lord. Make us a wise people in this way because of Jesus and all that he's done for us, we pray in his name. Amen. Three acts of today's message. Act one, covenant, from covenant to beautiful community. From covenant to beautiful community. Act two, I would like to talk about individualism and the organic. That's a little kind of mysterious there. I'll explain what that means. From individualism to the organic. And then part three, I'm going to talk about real wisdom on the tree of life. In our passage today, we talk, it says it mentions the tree of life. I'm going to go from real wisdom to the tree of life. Now let me talk about verse uh, part one, covenant to beautiful community. Let's go to chapter three. Let me ask you to go to chapter three. It says in verse 19 to 20, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Now at the beginning of this series, I talked about that the Bible is a thoroughly covenantal book. And I gave you a, a kind of simple, though it's not the, all of what it means to be covenant, that the world was made covenantally and that the Bible wholly looks at the world as through covenant. And what does that mean? I, I taught you that the horizontal of the created reality of all that you see around us, the creation and all your neighbors and the community around us, the horizontal must receive from the vertical. The horizontal must, under, must be understood through the lens that God has sovereignly made all things from Himself, for Himself, 
And it says right here that there's a wisdom, there's a knowledge and an understanding that which unleashes the blessing of all of the community. And this comes through in covenant. Now let me say a little more about what covenant means. Covenant means that God bound himself to a people. That Let me just give you a quick little difference. For instance, in Islam, Islam teaches that God is almighty. Christianity also teaches that God is almighty, right? But there's a big difference. Islam does not fundamentally believe in covenant. And what the difference there is that what the Bible teaches is that God actually came down and then entered into a relationship with his people, and then he bound himself to promises that if he were to fail those promises, that God would have to condemn himself and would have to cut himself apart. That's what covenant means. So that God, he has humbled himself so much that, that when he cuts himself in relationship and that we bind ourselves to him and then follow according to his ways, all of the, of the horizontal begins to flourish. But that's very different than Islam where, where their view of God, Allah, is sovereign over all things, but he can just basically fling us away. He could bless us or he could just curse us. He could fling us away. He could replace us at whim, at will, because that's what almightiness means. That's why Islam means to be submit to one who is utterly almighty. But the Bible teaches that God has covenant himself to a people and that the world is under covenant. And what that means is if you will go to him and you will dip into his wisdom and follow after his heart and his ways, that if you will be in this relationship with him, it's more like a marriage. That if you will be in this marriage, the relationship will flourish. And all those of you who are married, you know that there is wisdom. There is a kind of underlying law of relationships in the creation of the, of the marriage itself. And that if you violate those things, your marriage will fall apart. But if you go toward wisdom and then you move toward, let's call it the horizontal of your spouse, under the wisdom which comes from God, something will flourish within the relationship. The horizontal will flourish. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about wisdom means that if you will go to the covenant, that you will be a person that will contribute to the flourishing of the horizontal. And today I'm talking about community. Now when God laid down all of creation, He did not just intend for individuals just to know Him. What He intended was that there would be a beautiful and flourishing community and all that would be under covenant. And when you have a whole set of people that would seek and know the deep wisdom of God, then that community will become something that's more than just a whole bunch of individuals living out their, you know, their individual agendas, but that something beautiful and wonderful will come together. That's what we're talking about today. Now look, um, let's, go to, let's go to verse 27. I want to show you a little something about how the Bible thinks. If you go to verse 27 and 28, many of you, I suspect, will read this, and you, what you'll see is a piece of very sensible advice. Okay? But what I want to offer you today is it's a lot more than that. Let's go to verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. So you owe somebody something good. You have the power to give it. Don't withhold it. That seems like a good piece of advice. Verse 28. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I'll give this to you when you already have it. That's a pretty interesting piece of advice, isn't it? Right? Um, and most of it, a lot of people would hear that and go, yeah, that's pretty sensible. All right. I don't know why that has to be from the Bible. I could get that from Oprah. <laughs> I could get that. Um, I can get that from my dad. Right. Um, but why is that important that it is from the Bible? It is the word of God. Because in those in those little verses, what I want you to see is there's a fabric. There's a fabric of God's covenant and God's covenant seeks communal flourishing and blessing. And in all these little pieces, and sometimes the Proverbs says it in, in, in a negative fashion, sometimes it says in a positive. It says, it says, do this and be like this. Or sometimes it says, if you're like this, then you're an idiot. Right? It says, this is bad. And if you're going like this, you will incur curse and folly and destruction and bad things will happen to you. But in one of the running themes throughout Proverbs is that how you treat 
those and look at the people around you is that you are a member of a communi- community and that deep wisdom is to seek the flourishing and the fulfillment of the community. That is what, that's what covenant drives for too. Right? Let me just show you a few of these things, right? Um, and that if you don't, if you look at the world and you're only looking after what is good for me and what will fulfill me, that you are, you really, you're, you're defeating covenant in a sense. And you don't have wisdom and you're corrupting the community. Let me just show you a few of these things, right? Go, just go down this list. Verse 29. Do not plan evil against your neighbor when he trusts you. Verse 30. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he hasn't even harmed you. You know, let, let me just say it a little this way. Don't get so easily, let me say it a little bit modern terminology. Don't get so easily offended when that person hasn't actually hurt you. They did not intend hurt for you. But just because you're hypersensitive, you got offended by them and now you hold some kind of grudge or some kind of offense against them. You know, that's so common today. It's so common for people to get there. They get all worked up about something and then they immediately go, that person, I don't like that person now. Right? But here's a piece of wisdom. How about verse, uh, verse 31? Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. I don't think that's too hard. Right? But how about verse 32? For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord. That's pretty... We, we were talking in our community. That word abomination, that's a pretty powerful word. It's not a word we use these days. You know what that means? God hates it with all his guts. He despises deviousness. And let me just go, what are some of these things? To withhold good for somebody when you can give it. To plan evil when someone trusts you. In other words, just plan ill will. How about that? How about planning something that isn't very nice or very kind or doesn't have any type of blessing when they trust you? Uh, Or violence or deviousness. You know what all these things have in common? In one way or another, all these things poison relationships. They poison communities. In all these ways, there are ways that which help deconstruct and make communities fall apart. You know, we're living in a time when so many people, we long for community, 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 community. We would like to meet people with authenticity. And the reason those things are so longed for in our society is because they're so missing. We live in, in a society where people are so looking after A number one and when we meet people, we don't trust that they actually have good intentions and from their heart, from their heart that they actually long to bless you. So even when someone wants to do something good to you, we're so messed up. We're like thinking, okay, do they have an agenda? <laughs> and so maybe we wouldn't call them devious, but what we say is you have an agenda. You know what? The Bible would call that devious, right? So that when you say you want to bless a person or you act like you want to bless a person, it's not just blessing. It's actually there's some other agenda because you've got to get something out of it. The Bible would say there's something underhanded there. There's a piece of deviousness there, right? And we long for these things. And if you're a person that doesn't think about your life as embedded in community around you, and that the meaning and the fulfillment of your life doesn't come in contributing into the community and help it come into flourishing and shalom, that in in a very serious way, you're a fool. You very much lack wisdom and you are running your life toward a kind of destruction. And there's all kinds of promises that the Bible gives that if you live your life toward communal fulfillment and you're constantly seeking to fill the hearts of other people, to fill and contribute to community, that it'll come around, the Bible says, you will sleep better. (laughs) The Bible says that you will have less fear. The Bible says that riches and honor will come your way. And a lot of times when people read these things, what you think about is like, it's almost like it's like a piece of karmic magic. If I do X, Y, Z good things toward my neighbor, then somehow, like, God will get my back and then just money will come to my way. Or like, I will live a good life and, and, and honor will come my way. Or somehow, when I lie down, I did, you know, like, eight, you know, like three or four good deeds toward my friends today. Therefore, when I lie down tonight, I'm just going to fall asleep and it'll just be sweet. That's not what it means. And when you think this way, you look at the world like, like it's some kind of like deal. Not covenantally, but contractually. 
God, there's like an unwritten contract. I do some good things toward my neighbors and you're going to bless me and reward me because this is sort of the wages I'm supposed to earn. But this is wrong. You don't understand how the world actually works. You lack the wisdom. Because this is how the way it plays out. If you're a person that when you go toward people that you have a heart and it's a habit, it's a heart habit that you regularly go to fill them, you say, hey, and when they ask you a favor, you'll do it and you don't expect anything in return. When you see a need and you know you, you can, like it says in verse, you, it's, you, don't, you, you can actually fill that need and instead of withholding it, you go and do it. And you actually go and do it. And you, when you begin to see this and this is a habit and people, you know what? People figure that out. They're not dumb. People start to realize there's something about you that you're constantly wanting to contribute into the blessings of other people. And then you know what they do? What starts to happen? They start to like you. They start to trust you. They start to honor you. You know, um, uh, don't many of you, don't you wish that when you go throughout your life and you, let's say you make a mistake or you offend somebody, don't you wish that that person, instead of immediately wanting to jump on you and be offended at you or be against you or reject you or fire you or, 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 or kick you out of, their, out of their life, instead what you want them to do is to give you the benefit of doubt, right? Instead they'll look at you in other kinds of ways and go, oh, but wait a second, I know this person more. And I know there's a lot more goodness in the, inside this person's heart. And so when they made this mistake, that, that, I thought it was a mistake, and I thought, but that, there must be something more. Don't you wish everybody would do that for you? But if you are a person with this kind of wisdom, and this is the way you regularly treat people, with this type of heart generosity, seeking the, the flourishing of the community, you know what? More and more, one person, another person, they'll say this to you. Let's say one person gets offended, but... Eight or nine other people see you this way. You know what they'll say? One person will be, I'm really mad at this person because they, they offended me by saying this thing. And they goes like, wait a second. Don't you know that person? Don't you know that they couldn't have possibly meant that? They couldn't have possibly meant to hurt you? And a, a, a set of people will rise up and with their words, they'll speak benefit of a doubt. And then, you know what? Their words and their heart toward you will begin to protect you. Isn't that what you would want? You know, this, this, this plays out in all kinds of funny ways. I had a really good example of it this, uh, this, the, uh, this past week. Um, about a week ago, I went to my, my dad's house because I, I needed a favor from my mom, right? So I went, I went home, I went to my parents' house, knocked on the door, I stepped in, and the first thing that my dad said to me wasn't, Hi, good to see you. He went, Hey, how old is Frank? And for those of you guys who know Frank's our youth pastor, that was, that was the first question out of his mouth. I walked in the room, not high, good to see you, son. Hey, how old is Frank? And I'm like, what the heck kind of question is that? And so why was he asking that question? You guys, you guys got a clue? Why? Because there's a very fine and upstanding and admirable young woman in his church, the daughter of one of their pastors, and he started thinking about who is an admirable, wise, and worthy young man to introduce this wonderful woman too, and he thought of Frank. You know how many times my dad has met Frank? Literally like maybe twice. Okay? But he met Frank, he got a really good impression of him, and he's heard me say good things about him, and he knows that in our church that many of us, we love and admire him, right? And we are blessed by him and the ministry he does for the youth in our church. Just because my dad thinks all those things about him, even though he barely knows him, he wants to contribute into the riches of Frank's life. Right? This is how riches work. This is how wisdom comes back to produce riches and honor and better sleep. Because if all the people around you looked at you and gave you this kind of honor or high thinking or benefit of the doubt, don't you think it would produce riches and power in your life? Don't you think it would actually make your life strong and good? And so one of the key secrets of having a strong and beautiful life is actually to live in the midst of a strong and filled and powerful community. That's what's one of the deep secrets. And if you don't, you will start going, okay, nobody looks after me, so I have to look, nobody takes care of me, so I have to look out for A number one. And this is what we, what we're becoming. 
We are an anti-covenantal society, so everybody it looks for towards self-interest, and then what actually does instead of and then we think wisdom is just if I just have special key pieces of knowledge to manipulate others to get self-advantage, then I'll get ahead. But actually, the Bible says no. Actually, you're sowing the seeds of your own destruction. Right? Communal fulfillment. Now let me ask you to go um, to a, 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 just show you this a little bit. Go to chapter six. Go to chapter six. Go to verse twelve. Chapter six, verse twelve. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech. And listen to just how the Bible looks at the things that uh, that God hates: crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. With perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. You see discord. Therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment he will be broken beyond healing. Then this gets interesting. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. There's that word again, right? Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and this one's interesting again, one who sows discord among his brothers. What do all those things have in common? They're all destroying community. Right? Sowing discord among brothers. That is the very picture of community being broken apart. God hates these things. Utterly hates these things. And so this is a picture, not just of, I've got like, 20 or 50 or 100 different little things to do. So the, so the Proverbs is this mysterious book of, of about 100 and 200 different little do's and don'ts. And if I do these little do's and don'ts, then my life will turn out well. No. How about this deeper principle? Will you seek covenantal fulfillment? Will you seek the flourishing of your community? Right? And if you don't, if you are all this person, these are six, then you fall, you may fall into the category of the six things that God hates, the seven which are an abomination to Him. Right? Let me ask you to go to chapter 11. See this some more. Chapter 11, verse 9. I mean, and there's so many. I was, as I was piecing this message together, I was like, okay, there's this one, this one. And you're like, okay, I can't go into all those. There's, there's just too many, all right? But just let me show you some more. Verse 9 from chapter 11. Whoever walks in, in, in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. You know what that's saying? What comes out of your mouth goes forth. If it's righteousness which comes out of your mouth, you know what you are? You're actually like a fountain of life unto other people. It's life that's life-giving, and it produces life in your community. But if you're not, well, then your mouth, and actually you don't know it, but if you don't have righteousness which comes out of your mouth, actually it doesn't, you don't know it, but you're, it conceals a form of violence. And I don't think it always necessarily means physical violence, because many of you guys know what it's like when people speak words and they're not righteous. And those words that they cut and they hurt, it forms a form of violence inside your heart and your soul. And many of you guys know that sometimes more than physical violence, words of violence are far more painful when people, and they don't have to be even all that direct. It can be cutting or it can be snide or it can be passive aggressive. But words of life, profoundly, they, they contribute into the community. Just a few more verses. Verse 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And I want you to think about this theme Covenant and community flourishing. Covenant and community flourishing. 13. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. The mouth of a fool brings ruin near all around him. Will you contribute with your mouth into communal flourishing? Let's go to part two of my message, right? I called it individualism and the organic. Individualism and the organic. Now, um, I, know, I know that what I'm going to say here may seem really obvious to many of you, but it is so... 
such the normal habit of our life, I just have to push back, all right? And what I want to say is many of you are not just individualistic. I know we live in America, and people say America is an individualistic country. If you don't really believe that, go to another country that's very, very family and duty-oriented, and you will know how very individualistic we are, right? But in America, we're not just kind of individualistic. I would say we're radically individualistic. And it shows up in all kinds of ways. Our life, and let me just put it to you this way. When you think about your life, my life, when you think about your life, do you think about all the different people in the community that you're around? Do you think that my life is about my church and my family and my neighborhood and my city and my country and my friends and my coworkers? These are all parts of my life. Not just parts, but they make up my life. You ever think about that? That your life isn't just your career and your love life and your success and your marriage and your happiness and your comfort and your pleasures and where you're going on vacation and where you're going to go and where you're going to go out to eat. This is what we typically tend to think about when we think about my life. And you notice it's all about, it's so solitary, it's lonely actually. This is part of the radical individualism. But not everybody thinks this way. But if you think about my life, what you should think about is the whole covenant. My life is in the fabric of my community. And as I'm in the fabric of my community, as I contribute to them, and then they contribute to me, this is my life. What I, what I pour into them, and then what they pour back to me, all these things are the parts of my life. And you know why so many people today feel so poor inside, why we feel such great poverty inside, is because our communities are so thin. Uh, when I watch TV today, um, when I watch TV today, I, they celebrate community. Almost show after show after show, I see this in. You watch a show. Uh, I'll give you an example. One of my wife's favorite shows is NCIS. You know what, how they envision community? They envision community as only their coworkers. You know why they envision their community as their coworkers? Is because according to the world of NCIS, all these people do is work. They're off on adventures and, and solving deep crimes against the country and in the Navy. And, and so the only people that are they're deep and close in their life are these five or six coworkers. This is their community. This is all that they got. They got their work and these five people and you barely know about their love life. Right? And, and whether they have kids, kids don't even exist in this world. It's a very thin community, communal life. Uh, take another show, uh, How I Met My, um, How I Met Your Mother. What's the community of that show? Literally, these people have a community of like six, five other people. This is the only people that they know. These are the only people they can contribute to. Their work, kids are effectively irrelevant. Do they contribute to the poverty of their city? You ever see them talking about, well, there's poor people over here. You ever hear them talking about, um, my dad is suffering from cancer and I have to go help him? That world is a totally unreal world and yet lots of people want to live in that world. Lots of, that's radical individualism. Your community just so powerfully just shrunk down to the smallness of your me. And that's sad. That's the life of folly. Now let me, let me, um, let me press this another way, right? When you think about your, 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 your life, how do you think about, say, just take certain pieces? How do you think about church? You know how people think about church these days and when they go to church? So, we go to church. Why would I want to go to this service versus another service? Because I don't get anything out of this message. So how do you size up a worship service? What do I get out of this message, out of this preacher? Now, I'm not saying that that's an unimportant question. I hope you get something out of what I preach. And so if week in and week out, I sound blah, 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 you probably should go to another church. Okay, fine, right? <laughs> but, so I hope you do get something out of what I preach. Okay? But that, that can't be your only question. That can't be your only criteria. And if that is your main criteria or your only criteria, and that, or just such a huge criteria, that that's all you think about, right, that's radical individualism. What you have to think about also is there's a word that's going forth to my brothers and sisters. This word is going forth and reshaping a whole community. 
And how will we receive this word? How will I help my brothers and sisters? Maybe this particular message is not something that you struggle with, but you know five or six other brothers and sisters that this message they absolutely need to hear, and you would encourage them. It's a, it's a we that you are a part of. Hmm? Uh, so many people, they go to church. This is even the way the language is today. People, when they go to church, they're like, there was the worship, and then there was the sermon. <laughs> what do they mean by that? What they mean by that is, I got this connection with Jesus when there was a praise time. So today, it's weird. They don't consider the whole service the worship. They consider the, 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 the singing and the praise time the worship. And then the sermon, that's like a, that's like a different part. But you know, that, that attitude, it reveals that what people think of sometimes is when they go to, to service, what are they looking for? I want the band to be good. I want the songs to be good. I want the songs to touch me. And then when I sing those songs, I'm being connected to God and I'm worshiping Him and I hope that is happening for you. But if that's all you think about when you go to church, that you're practicing radical individualism and not covenant. Because you know how you should? You should also think about when I come to praise, okay, maybe I don't like this particular song, but I will sing it. And when I sing it, my voice contributes to the voice of all the other people and out of my mouth comes a piece of righteousness, a fountain of life, which is blessing all the other people. You ever been in a room where a thousand people are singing a song with all their hearts? Is that a good experience? It's such a great experience that people spend massive amounts of money. I'm not even talking about church. I'm talking about like a rock concert. People spend massive amounts of money and they follow this band around... So that in the middle of the song, in the middle of the concert, there'll be a one point and, and uh, hundreds of other people who know that song too, they'll all go Whoa, like this and they'll all start singing it together and they're not even worshiping God. And you know, what does it do? What does it do to people? It just fills you something. There's something in your heart where we feel so empty. It fills us. And so part of worship is, is not just what you get out of it, it's just the, the sheer fact that you just show up and you care and you want to participate. How about community group? People would communicate, well, I didn't get anything out of the discussion last week and the prayers were boring and, and, I, and, I, I, and I got really tired of listening to that guy's problem, so I don't want to go to community group, right? And so, you know, community group feels a little dry for two or three, four weeks in a row, so then you don't feel like going because I'm not getting a lot out of it. You're practicing radical individualism, not covenantal fulfillment. As you go in, like, how about, I'm not even saying if you talk. We know that the people who are talkative and who like to share, obviously, you know, they're contributing to discussion. Sometimes they're contributing badly to the discussion, all right? But, um, fine. But there are people who show up, they may be quiet, but they care. And when you care, people know. They come regularly. You know what they do? They, cre- they create space. They, they create something, they help contribute to something so solid that on any given day that when someone is broken down, they know they can show up and brothers and sisters will be there to receive them. See, community group is like this. There could be week, week, week one, week two, week three, week four. Nothing very interesting seems to happen. You don't seem to feel like you got much out of it. But then in week five, somebody shows up and their life is totally falling apart. But because all the other people showed up and said, I come every week ready, to, ready and willing not only to receive, but to contribute. In week five, when that person's life is falling apart, they know they can come. And if, if all those other people didn't do it, that week when that person's life was falling apart, they'd have nowhere to go. They'd have nowhere to go. And that's what's happening when the people around you are doing the drugs or, you know, trying to medicate themselves with alcohol or, or they, they're just trying to just forget about their problems and, and living self-destructively or it even gets really bad when they get suicidal. But that's the power of community. That when people show up, not even just for themselves, but I'll show up for you. I don't even know for who. I don't even know who else is going to show up, but I'll show up for them. And when someone else comes, that's the day 
when you made a difference, and you didn't feel like you made a difference, but you made a very profound difference. That's wisdom. Now, I said that the second part of my message is individualism and the organic. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I can tell you all these things about how to go about it. We have all these habits in our society. Radical individualism, we practice that. I mean, it is like the CD that will never, that does not ever want to shut off in our minds and our hearts. But there's another one. There's another habit of the way you look at the world. And I want to try to push back against that. I want to ask you to challenge this pattern of thinking in your, in your mind. And that is, you tend to look at the world and all around you like replaceable parts in a machine. This is how we look at our world these days. When you, if you, if something were to break down in your car and you go to the mechanic and they figure out, hey, it's this one particular part, you don't even know what he's talking about. He goes, the carburetor of the fuel injector of the blah, blah. Suddenly you're like, I don't need, okay, whatever. I don't even know what you said. Can you fix it? You, do you know that he doesn't actually fix the broken part? You know what he does? He takes it out, tosses it, and then he replaces it with a new one. But there's a, I've noticed more and more now in America, there's a habit that we look at people that way. We look at people as like parts. And if they go, then somebody else will just show up. And if I don't get this friend and I go to another city, then we'll just have another friend. And when, and when this co-worker leaves, we'll just pick up another co-worker. Some people even look at wives that way. This wife isn't working out for me, and so let's replace her. <laughs> she's, she's like a replaceable part, hopefully a younger and prettier version. Okay, newer, shinier. <laughs> okay? All right, so... This is how we think about like everything in our society, right? Including community. And it's sad. But the reality of community, it is not a machine. You know what it is? It's organic. You know what organic means? It's a living, breathing, it's more like a plant. It's more like a body. And if you are a member of something that's organic, you can't replace that part. Do you know that if you go to a plant, let's say you have a plant at home, and you rip one of the flowers off, you snip that flower off, you're all like, yeah, boom, you snip that flower off, let's replace it. How's it going? Is it that easy to replace that flower? All of a sudden, you're looking at this, this headless <laughs> stem, and what just happened? The room just got uglier. And something, it's not like that's going to be replaced that easily. Something has to grow. It's organic. And many of you are thinking, I don't have much to contribute into the community. But think about this. The body is an organic, the co a community is an organic reality. Some of you may think, I'm just a pinky fingernail. That's all I am. You, but when was the last time, have you ever had your pinky fingernail ripped off your body? Have you ever had anybody ever had that happen to you? It is really not a fun experience. And who will begin to cry back. So if the body was a bunch of talking persons and the person that is the pinky fingernail were to get ripped out and thrown out, guess what would happen? All the rest of your body would go, this is really painful. There's something profoundly missing. We are hurting. We are hurting. This is what community is really like. When you don't show up and you don't contribute and you decide to, and you start looking at people that way, the body will fall apart and break down. Some of you may be pinky fingernails and yet you're still important. And we know some people are more like pancreases. Some people are more like hearts. If you lose the heart, what happens? The whole body dies. And there are people in our community that if they were to leave, probably our community will collapse. And this is the reality of all community. Human beings are not inter just replaceable parts. You must come and say, I've been made covenantally to fulfill covenant. God has put this wisdom inside me. Now let me actually follow that wisdom and now pour forth blessing into the body of the community of people around me and then it'll come back to fulfill me. All these cells, when they do their right part toward one another, it comes back to nourish them. Um, you know, and to just give you this illustration, this is a particularly pointed and painful illustration. I, I really learned this the hard way. Um, and I've shared this with you. Some of you who've, been, who've listened to me preach, I've, I've shared this before, but I'm going to share it again. 
um, my mother-in-law, Grace's mom, she, caught, she, got, she was diagnosed with cancer in the mid-2000s. If you ever met Grace's mom, and I wish you could have met her, and you will meet her, all those of you who believe in Jesus, please come up to me and Grace when we're in the New Jerusalem, when we are of our resurrected bodies, and say, let me meet your mom, Grace. Seriously, you should meet her. But if you ever met her, you would have met this really unassuming woman. She was shy. She tended to be kind of nervous around people. Um, but she never, she was never selfish. She constantly saw herself as contributing into the lives of others in, in even the smallest ways that she could. And, you know, in our life, in our, we, we, we probably, if you were to go around to Grace's family, all of us who are in the family, and we were to ask, who's the most important person in this family? I don't think any of us would have said, you know, um, mom. We wouldn't have said mom. We might have said dad, or we might have said some of the kids, but we wouldn't have said her. When, when Grace and I were first married, we would go visit New York, and my mother-in-law would make this meal for us. And she would turn to me, and she would apologize to me. And you know why she would apologize? Because she felt like she wasn't a good cook, and she didn't know how to cook really good meals to like my taste, and she didn't know what my taste was, and she wanted to bless her son-in-law. She wanted to love her son-in-law. But she, and she constantly felt like she, she had this disconnect with me because, because I don't speak English well enough. I can't connect to my son-in-law. And my son-in-law is a smarty-pants guy that came out of this hotshot university, and he likes to talk about all these big things, and I don't talk about these big things, and I don't even know what he's talking about, so I can't bless him in that way either. And um, I don't watch these movies with him so we can't, I can't connect with him. So the one small way that she felt like she could love me was to make a nice meal for me. And when she didn't feel like it was good enough, she would apologize. But you know what was so great? And the meals were good, actually. But you know what was really great? is her heart. Right? It was her heart. And you know, I so miss her. Right? And um, when mom passed away, you know what happened in our family? Our family collapsed. That's what happened. Because our heart was gone. That's what happened. She was so unassuming. And I'm never going to forget that. And when I look at our church, and when I look at the people in my life, I do not look at the people who are the loudest, or who are the strongest, or who have the most power, who have the most you know, money or whatever. I look at the people with this heart, the heart that looks at you and says, I'll bless you. And those are the people who have the heart that make the community live. That's wisdom. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just miss her. And that's wisdom, guys. And that's what we need. Wisdom is not just like ideas and like little, little pieces of like knowledge in your mind. It's a whole habit of how you look at people, how you look at community, and how you will move to them. And if you have, if you will begin to take these steps, then you will be a person of wisdom and depth. And there's so much blessing that will come back to you if you're willing to take these steps, even in ways you don't even know. Right. Now let me, let me complete my message. I, I said, I promised you that I would talk about the, the tree of life. Let's go there. You know, Proverbs 3. It says this extraordinary thing in chapter 3, verse 18. For she, that is wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. You know, I, I shared with you something, I hope which moves you a bit, about my mother-in-law, right? And, um, and I gave you a lot of practical advice today. And you read pieces of practical advice, and now you can walk out of here and you can say, okay, now I'm, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to try to be a wise person. But you, you probably 
won't, or you'll do it badly. You know why? Because we're radical individual Americans, and that, that seed of folly, that habit of folly and, and looking at the world like machine and not organic, that thing is so deeply ingrained. So you won't just go and do it if I tell you to go do it because it works for you. Because what's happened is throughout your life, you know what you really need? What you need is to eat a fruit which puts, actually puts life inside of you. That's what you need. This day, you can go eat good food at whatever restaurant. You can eat the best of the food. We live in a fairly good food town. Right? You can get good Vietnamese food. You can get good Mexican food. You can get good produce. We live in Philadelphia. There's lots of terrible produce there, okay? We, you live in a town where you can get good food, but you know what? It doesn't necessarily put life into you. The Bible, this is a really extraordinary verse, and I don't know if you understand, and I want to just try to give you a sense. Right here in the middle of the scriptures is something so extraordinary when it says that wisdom is a tree of life. Because at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, there was a tree of life in the garden. And when Adam and Eve wickedly sinned against God, you know what he did? He cut them off from the tree and he barred them from eating of this fruit. And I don't know what that fruit looks like. I don't know if it looked like an apple or a kumquat or whatever. I, I imagine there must have been something literal there, but I, I think there's something more than a literal piece of fruit. It's metaphor. Metaphor to pic, picture something else. That when they ate of this thing, you know, they ate of the depths of the wisdom of God and went inside of them. Life came inside of them. But you can eat good Mexican food or good Vietnamese food in San Jose and you still just have death inside of you. That's what we are. We're the walking slowly dying because we don't have the tree of life. But when you go to the back end of the Bible, in, in Revelation chapter 22, when God makes all things anew again, there's a river of life which flows and feeds a tree of life. And one day you'll be able to eat of that tree once again. But actually, you don't have to wait till that day to eat of that tree. Because in the middle of the Bible, it says here, some of you are wondering, what is the connection between wisdom and the gospel? What is the connection between wisdom and Jesus? In the middle of history, there was another tree that tree, to our naked eyes, looked like a tree of death. Because Jesus hung on a tree, and he died. And it was a horrific death. But actually, from that tree, which looks like death, came the seed of everything that would end up in paradise once again, when Jesus would provide life again. I can give you the good advice. I hope you take some of the advice. I can try to emotionally like pull your heartstrings and hope you receive that too. But you won't change and become wise until you really go to the tree of life, which is the cross, and say, come to him, Jesus, all my self-interest, all my agenda, all my radical individualism, can it die there? Just let it die there. And you, Jesus, the heart, the heart to be like Christ, to be like my mother-in-law, would you put that into me and let me eat from that heart which comes from your tree, the cross. And only when you have Christ and that heart would you, will you actually begin to be a neighbor like Christ. Because Christ was the greatest and best neighbor there ever was. The greatest contributor into communal shalom there ever was. Christ, because he filled you when you were empty. Christ, who completes the covenant. That's the one you need. That's where the tree of life comes from. So, brothers and sisters, you do in your Proverbs, you read through the Proverbs, please do not I want you to think about this. If you forget every other message that I, I preach in, in this Proverbs series, I want you to think every piece, every piece of advice, every piece of, of, of wisdom that you pick up from all these verses, as you just take it in and then say, Lord, make the, and then let me eat from the tree of life, Jesus.
Let me eat from the tree of life, Jesus, and make me wise. Make me deep. Make me a contributor into communal shalom. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for my, for my mom. Grace's mom was, who's my mom. I don't call her my mother-in-law. I call her my mom. And I thank you for people who are like her in our church. And I thank you for people like that in my life. Because they make my life life. And I thank you that from the tree, which looked like a tree of death, flowed a tree of life to produce hearts like that and people like that and I'm not like that not very much Lord but make me like that help us repent of our radical individualism and all our self agendas and start thinking of our life bigger and more and fuller think of community group that way think of worship that way think of God's word that way not just only what I get out of it but what I can share of it how this blesses so many other people, how we could talk about it and then out of our mouth becomes words of righteousness which is a fountain of life. Make this community, this New Hope community, a flourishing community where your covenant is being made whole and where Jesus reigns and we're constantly eating from the tree of life from your cross pray that that's what you do and people in San Jose would start to take notice and this powerful seed of life were to start to spread in our city in our country we pray we long for this so much we are so far from this and we can't make this happen but we thank you that you've come in our stead so that we can turn to you happen in us when we can't. In Jesus' name. Amen.